0: Over the past few months, Christine and I have gotten hooked on a television show called Homeland. If you've never heard of it before, this is probably the way I would describe it. It is a gritty political thriller with a little bit of military action and a lot of espionage thrown in. The show centers around two main characters, and they are both agents in the CIA. One is a young woman, played by actress Claire Danes, and then there is the seasoned veteran named Saul Berenson, and he is played by the actor Mandy Patinkin, who you might remember from years ago when he was much younger as Anigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. Now, before I go any further, I just have to tell you that Homeland does not get the family-friendly seal of approval. Definitely not appropriate for younger Audiences, But the part I want to tell you about this morning is rated E for everyone. If you follow the show and you're not this far yet, don't worry. I'm going to do my best to not share anything too significant. Don't want to spoil anything for you. But essentially, what I want to tell you about this morning is a series of events that unfold in the finale of season six. Here's what happens. There is an assassination attempt made on the life of the president. It's not successful. Turns out that she is okay. But the whole experience just shakes her to her core. And this is what she ends up doing. She shuts herself up in the White House. Not just for a few days, not just for a few weeks, but for months. And then she begins this campaign of arresting people, anyone that she thinks is possibly even remotely connected with this conspiracy. At the end of the day, she arrests over 200 people. And then she continues to absolutely isolate herself. And she stops trusting almost everybody that she knows. The irony of this situation, of course, is this that you have the leader of the free world who has become a prisoner in her own home. The most powerful person on the planet has been reduced to hiding out in her office, feeling powerless and very much alone. Now, I know that it's just a television show, But the question I'm about to ask you proves the point just the same. And here it is. You ready? What is the one thing, what is the one thing that could cause a person that powerful to behave in such a manner? Any ideas this morning? It's a four-letter word. Very good. Absolutely one thing. And that is fear. Very, very powerful thing. Now, chances are none of us will ever be president. Chances are we will never visit the Oval Office, let alone hide out in there. But Here's something I can say with certainty is that fear is something that every single one of us will face in one form or another. In fact, probably every single day of our lives, and especially at a time like this. And if we don't learn to recognize fear, if we don't learn to overcome fear, the amount of destruction that it can wreak on ourselves, our hearts, our spirits, the people around us can be absolutely devastating. Overcoming fear. That's what I want to talk about in our time together today. And we're not going to try to do an exhaustive coverage of the topic. It's a huge one this morning I want to focus on what I believe is probably the most important first step toward overcoming fear. In a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, this morning's message is a continuation of what we talked about together last week. Who remembers what we talked about together last week, 4th of July weekend? Right. We talked about freedom. We talked about making the most of this incredible gift that we have been blessed with we talked about the importance of appreciating our freedom, not taking it for granted. Our freedom is something that deserves to be appreciated and utilized, but it's also something, because it is so valuable, that must be protected. And protected intentionally, because of all the threats to our freedom, guess what the biggest one is? Always has been. It is fear. It can creep right past secret service. It can affect everyone from the most powerful person on the planet to the lowliest, simplest person, fear. It's a pretty big deal, especially in these days. Amen. Can we read a passage of scripture together? It comes from the writings of Paul. Romans chapter 8, and just in case you didn't know this, I mean, of all of the work that Paul did in his life, of all of the letters that he authored, Romans is generally considered as his greatest work. And Romans chapters 8 through 12 in particular, this is like the crux of everything that God revealed to Paul in his lifetime. And our passage of scripture falls smack in the middle of it. It's a short one, but I want to read it together this morning. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Here's what it says. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Can I read it just one more time? And remember when we come across... That word slavery, what's the opposite of slavery? It is freedom. God says to us today that we did not receive a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons and also as daughters, of course, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, for anyone who is interested in overcoming fear. Is anybody here this morning interested in overcoming fear? Absolutely. For anyone who is interested in overcoming fear, this passage is a great place to start. And here's why. Because it reminds us of something very important. It reminds us of who our Father is. I had a pretty long sermon put together for this morning, about 10 pages. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to fear. But here's something that I realized when I was well into this topic. It's that there are two words. There are two words in our passage that if we can truly grasp them, if we can truly let the reality and the significance of what they are all about make their way into our hearts, that really covers a lot of ground. And it gets us moving in the right direction. So this morning, don't worry, I threw those 10 pages away in the trash. And this morning, we're just going to look at two words together. Sound good? All right. So the first word is a Greek word. Again, we're still in verse 15, and that word is weathosia. Weathosia. And this is actually a Greek legal term. It's the word that we translate in our passage as adoption. So what is adoption? Here's what adoption is in the legal sense. Not much different than it is today. It is the process of of bringing a person into a family. It is a process of recognizing someone as a member. With all of the rights and privileges that accompany being a part of a family, that means access to the family's resources. It means, check this out, it means heirs, status as heirs to the family fortune access to all the family's resources and status as heirs to the family fortune. When we read Romans 8.15 with that in mind, it should begin to catch our attention because here's what we're talking about. God has expressed an interest in adopting us. God has expressed an interest in adopting us. Now, something that enormous can be really difficult for us to even begin to wrap our heads around. God wanting to adopt us. And so here's an illustration that can maybe get us moving in the right direction as we seek to understand how significant and profound this is. Okay, you ready? Here it is. This afternoon, you get home, it's around 3 o'clock and all of a sudden, your cell phone rings. You pick it up, you almost don't answer it because it's a number that you don't recognize, But you decide, oh, what the heck, Uh, you know, I'll I'll answer the phone, and you you answer the phone, and uh, you hear on the other end, hey, this is Jeff, how's it going? And you're like, Jeff, Uh, Jeff Bezos, you know. And you think to yourself for just a moment because the, I mean, the name doesn't sound familiar, but then you remember, anybody know who Jeff Bezos is? Jeff Bezos is currently the wealthiest person in the world, the founder of Amazon, worth $113 billion. So as soon as you remember that that's who it is on the other end of the phone, he's got your attention, right? And here's what he says, hey, I, you know, Patty, I know that you don't know me, but I've actually had my eye on you. And I've got this idea that I wanted to run by you. I was thinking about adopting you. I was thinking about bringing you into my family, about granting you access to all my resources and status as an heir to my fortune. What do you say? You interested? Patty's shaking her head. Yes, absolutely. Right? Right? I mean, that kind of adoption, it changes everything, doesn't it? So here's the question. I mean, let's say we say yes to that offer. When we wake up the next morning, do you think we would feel more confidence and less fear? Absolutely, because we have a Father with resources. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? Now, we're talking about Someone with a million, billion, trillion times more resources than Jeff Bezos. Remember, we're talking about the one who, out of nothing, spoke into existence with a word from his mouth. All of the planets, the sun, the solar system, everything that was ever created, that is who has expressed an interest in adopting us. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So when we read that word together, adoption, I mean, that's what we're talking about. This is significant. This is life-changing. And as if that were not enough, guess what? There's more. I love that about God. With him, there is always more. So it brings us to our second word this morning. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of context for you to really appreciate. The significance of this word, and here it is very quickly. Most people know that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. That was the scholarly language of the day, not necessarily the language that people of that day spoke, kind of like the way that that Latin for centuries was the language of scholars. Nobody spoke Latin, but that was the written language. So the New Testament, as it records the life and the teachings of Jesus, primarily, I mean like 99.5%, originally written in Greek. The everyday language of Jesus Christ was more than likely Aramaic. That's what he spoke at home. I mean, he would have understood Hebrew because that's what he would have read the Old Testament scriptures in. But when he was hanging out at home, with his mom and dad when he was spending time with the disciples, Aramaic would have been the language that he used. Now there are a few, and I'm talking about very, very few instances in the New Testament where the Aramaic word that Jesus actually used is the word that is recorded. And our second word for this morning is is one of those. Now there's a few reasons why The original writers would have chosen to record this in the original language. One is maybe there just wasn't a Greek equivalent. Something that could not adequately express the nature and the nuance of what Jesus was talking about. And other times I think it's just because the word is so important. That the author doesn't want to risk anything being lost In translation, again, our second word this morning is one of those. And when I say it, think to yourself, this is the actual word that would have come off of Jesus' lips that his followers would have heard him say. The word, again, still in verse 15, is Abba. The word is Abba. And here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just Father doesn't mean just dad, doesn't mean pops or old man. It means daddy. It is an extremely intimate word. And until Jesus introduced us to that word, I mean, God had never ever been referred to in that way before. Remember, in the Old Testament times, the name of Yahweh was so holy that it wasn't even allowed to be pronounced out loud. And here Jesus is referring to God the Father as Abba and inviting us to do so as well. So what does that mean for the purposes of our study this morning? Here's what it means, is that God is inviting us into more than just the family. I would imagine that around the world there are children of very influential fathers who rarely even see their dad. Why? Because he's got important stuff to do. You can be a part of a family without necessarily having relationship with your father. This single word tells us something important, though. It tells us that God not only wants us to be a part of his family, but that he wants to have relationship with us. That means access to him. That means closeness to him. Now that is the kind of thing that changes everything. Amen. That's the kind of thing that changes everything. I mean, just as fear has the potential to reduce the most powerful person on the planet to hiding out in their office. The confidence that comes from having relationship with God, it can cause the most ordinary of people to do the most extraordinary of things. That's really the story, isn't it, of this book from the beginning to the end. People that God seeks out to have relationship, people that he invites to be a part of his family, to be used by him to do incredible things, people who say yes, and the world is never the same again. Now, I wish that we had more time to talk about fear this morning. If we did, there would be at least a few things that I would be sure to cover. Like one, for example, you need to know this. When it comes to fear, fear does not come from God. Never comes from God. Ever. We can know that. So here's how that's helpful. When we feel it stirring up in our hearts, we can know, hey, that is not from God. That is an attack from the enemy. And just knowing that we are under attack, I mean, that's a significant piece of information. Fear does not come from God. It's never come from God. That's the first thing I would share with you. And here's the second, last thing I would share about fear because I just have to say this. It's really important. Anybody know what the number one cause of fear is? Number one cause of fear is trying to control things. Fear and anxiety, right? Control. These are like two sides of the same coin. Whenever we are trying to control a situation, it always leads to fear and anxiety. And I don't quite understand why or how. Maybe it's just something inside of us deep in our spirits that tell us, hey, It's kind of like last week when we talked about uh, driving at the NASCAR track. Something tells us that we should not be behind this wheel, something deep inside. But when we try to run the show, when we try to control things, it always leads to fear. Guess what? That's a fairly simple fix. We just say, God, I'm turning this over to you. It's amazing how freeing that is. So if you were listening Anything that I said this morning about this invitation to be a part of God's family, there really should just be one question on the tip of your tongue. And that question is how do I get in on that? How do I get to be a part of something like that? That's a good question. Fortunately, it's one that Scripture speaks to very clearly. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, it says there is one God and there is one mediator between man and God. It is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.18 says through Jesus we have access to the Father through the Spirit. And John 14.6 it says Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we want to access relationship with God, it happens through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you have ever invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart to be the Lord of your life. This morning, I want you to know that that is an invitation that is open and extended to you. It is the way that we connect with the Father. Maybe that's a decision you made decades ago. You kind of remember it. You know, that is a decision that is incredibly important. Rich Mullins, anybody know who that is? He wrote uh, so many different Christian songs. He tells a great story. He says, when, when I was a kid and I went to a church camp, They would always, everything culminated at the last night with lots of music and an altar call, and everybody went forward to the altar. And he said, I went up to the altar, and it changed my life. He said, the next summer, I came back, and everything led up to the big night with music and an altar call. And he said, at that moment, I realized, oh, this isn't something you do once. You do it you know, once a year, every summer. When he got older, he said that he realized that Dedicating his life to Jesus is something we do every single day. And so as we pray this prayer together this morning, whether it's your first time, your second time, the thousandth time, it is just as important and just as powerful. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear God, I confess to you that I have made mistakes. I ask for and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I believe in the love and sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. I ask that he would come into my heart, that he would live there, to be Lord of my life forever and ever. Amen. Now here's the good news. if you I mean, if you said That prayer this morning, if you've ever said that prayer, guess what? You are in the family. You have been adopted. You have been brought in. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll never face any challenges again, but here's what it does mean. It means that we don't have to be afraid because we know that we are not alone. Relationship with God, it's the first step, but there is so much more. There's so much more. So the next time that you feel fear creeping in, I would just invite you to remember, I would invite you to remember that God did not give us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead he has chosen to adopt us, to bring us under his protection, all of those who say yes to him. Amen.